at first, the first stage of the judgment and the consequence of somebody who kills another person, whether he killed by mistake or on purpose, they would first run to the Eremiklat, to the nearest city of refuge, because before they arrive there, the relative of the person who was killed has the right to take revenge and kill this person who killed his relative. And so the first thing the murderer should do, whether he murdered on purpose or unintentionally, is that he should run to the nearest Eremiklat. And once he arrives there, as soon as he's inside there, the relative of the person who was killed is no longer able to kill this person. Be as it may, Ubeistin Sholchem Vinois Misham, Beistin would send messengers to bring him from there to the Beistin. And in the Beistin, they would judge what his correct judgment is. Mishan's Chavis of the Beistin, somebody who is found to be liable to the death penalty in Beistin, meaning he is found to have murdered intentionally in front of witnesses, and he received Hasra'ah, he received the correct warning, and all of the conditions in order to receive the death penalty were fulfilled. Haraguhu, the Beistin, would kill him. Mishalon's Misa, somebody who is not liable to the death penalty, for example, if he was found to be totally innocent and that he killed in a way which was out of his control, it was perhaps a Shege Karov Le'Oynes. Potter, he's exempt and he's even exempt from going to Golos. Like we already learnt that only a Shege Gomor, somebody who is who killed unintentionally, but it's not considered to be a total accident, only he would go to base to, to Golos. So Pteruhu, they would exempt him and allow him to go free. And the relative of the victim of murder would not have the right to kill him. Somebody who is found to be liable to go to Golus, they would return him to his place. As the Pesach says, The group of people, the Beistin, will return him to his Irmiklat. And this is when what we learned in the previous mission would apply, where they give him to escort him there, to try and convince the relative of the victim not to try and kill him. Be as may, he would return there once he was in there. In the Eremiklot, he would be saved, and the relative of the victim of murder would have absolutely no right to kill him. Now, the Torah says once he has um, fled to the Eremiklot, he's obligated to stay in that city until the Kohen Godel dies. Now, which type of Kohen Godel are we referring to? Whether it would be a Kohen Godel who was anointed with the unique anointing oil, which all of the Kohanim Gedolim would be anointed with, that's how they were appointed to be Kohen Gadol, but that only lasted until the times of Yeshua Melech. During his times, this anointing oil was hidden, and after that, all of the Kohanim Gedolim were appointed by wearing the eight items of clothing which only a Kohen Gadol could wear. That's how they represented the fact that he was the Kohen Gadol. But they wouldn't be anointed, but the Mishnah says, whether it be a Kohen Gadol who was not anointed with oil, but at least he wore the extra clothes which only a Kohen Gadol would wear. And even a Kohen Gadol who had already moved on from his state of being anointed. This is referring to a case where if a Kohen Gadol, for whatever reason, wasn't able to perform the Yom Kippur service in the Beis HaMikdash. Perhaps he became Tomei, 
So they would appoint another Kohen Godol to do that Avedah, the service of the Yom Kippur, in the Beis HaMikdosh on that day. And as Yom Kippur, once the real Kohen Godol was no longer Tomei, he would resume being the Kohen Godol. However, this other person who was the replacement, he is bound by many of the restrictions of a regular Kohen Godol, even later on. And he's considered to be a Kohen Godol, even if not necessarily in practice, he's considered to be a Kohen Godol. And therefore, even if he were to die, the death of any of these three types of Kohen would allow the murderer to return home and to leave the Irmiklot. This is learned from the fact that the Torah repeats three times that at the death of the Kohen Godol, the people in Golos can leave. That represents these three different types of Tamid of Kayan Gadailim. Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yehuda says, Af even the Kayan Mulchama, who was a Koyain who would speak to the people, the soldiers, before they went out to war and encourage them, and he was also, it was considered to be a very high position, well respected, and he was also anointed and was considered in some respects to be a sort of Kayan Gadol. Well, not a Kayan Gadol, but a more important Koyain. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, even at his death, Machzir Saritzeach, that would also be a reason to allow the murderer to return and to leave the Ermiklot. Rehuda learns this from a fourth time that the Torah says that when the Koyain dies, then everybody in Golos can leave. However, over there, the positive does not say Koyain Godol. It just says the Koyain, and according to Rehuda, that's alluding to this type of Koyain, the Koyain Meshach Muhammad. Continues the Mishnah quite famously, Lefichach. Therefore, in the essential Kehanim Sabkez Lohen Michyoksus, the Kehanim Gedolim's mothers would provide for all of these people who were in Golos food and clothing in order that these people in Golos wouldn't daven that these women's children, i.e. the Kayanim Gedolim, would die. These people would probably want the Kayanim Gedolim to die because their freedom and their ability to leave their Eriklot is dependent upon this. So in order that they don't daven for the Kongol to die, the Kongol's mother would provide for their needs. Now, what happens if somebody killed by mistake, and before Bastin managed to reach the verdict to say that he needs to go to Golos, the Kongol died before the verdict was given. And they managed to appoint another Kongol instead of him. Again, this was all before the verdict was passed. And only after that was his verdict passed. And given by Bastin, he would return and he would be able to leave the Ermiklat when the second new Kohen Godol dies. It all depends on who is the Kohen Godol at the time that the verdict is given. Mishnah Zayim, what happens if Nigma Dinoi below Kohen Godol, the verdict of this murderer was given and he was sentenced to the punishment of Golos, below Kohen Godol when there was no Kohen Godol? They didn't yet manage to appoint a new one. Or Hahore Kohen Godol, somebody who kills the Kohen Godol by mistake. The Kongol Shaharag or a Kongol himself who kills somebody and he is liable to go to Golos. Even if at the time that he his sentence was passed, they had already managed to appoint a different Kongol. Nevertheless, in a Yaitzim he would never be able to leave the Miklot forever. And Mish now emphasizes the extent of this prohibition. The mitzvah. He's not allowed to leave their miklot even to give testimony for the sake of a mitzvah. For example, if he saw the Rosh Chodesh moon to go and testify that it is Rosh Chodesh, he cannot do that. And he can't leave in order to give testimony regarding a monetary case. He can't even leave for the sake of testifying about a capital case involving a death penalty. Even if the Jewish people need him. Even if the officer of the entire army of the Jewish people, like Yerub ben Surya, the general in David HaMelech's army, 
where the entire Jewish people are reliant on him. Still, there's a prohibition for him to leave the city. He's forbidden to leave there forever, until, of course, the Kohen Gadol dies. And in one of these three cases which we just mentioned, he would never be able to leave. Shanema, as the Pesach says, Asher Nos Shoma, is talking about the Aramiklot, where he will flee there. He'll run away to there. And this phrase is repeated three times in the Torah, which comes to teach us that Shomte Dirosai, that is where he needs to live, Shomte Misosai, that is where he's going to die. Meaning, even if for whatever reason being in that city will be bad for his health and it might bring his death nearer, he still needs to stay there, Shomte Kvirosai, and he needs to be buried there. Even once he's died, he's not allowed, his body's not allowed to be taken out, and he needs to be buried there until the Kongol dies. Once the Kongol dies, then they are allowed to take his bones out and bury them elsewhere. Now, as we have seen, once the murderer enters the city, that is when the relative of the victim who was killed is no longer able to kill him. And this is known in the Mishnah as the city being koilate, sort of catching and giving that freedom to the Reitzeach, to the person who killed. The Mishnah says, just like the city offers that freedom to the person who killed, so to the same applies to the Tuchum of the city. The area of the distance of 2,000 Amas surrounding the city, which is considered in some respects to be an extension, well, that's considered to be the area which is considered to be somewhat an extension of the city. For example, on Shabbos, it's forbidden to travel further than 2,000 Amas away from the city. As soon as the murderer has entered into 2,000 Amas within the city, already from then, the relative of the victim is no longer able to kill him. What happens if the murderer who is in Golos one day decides to go outside of the 2,000 Amas of the city? He's no longer within this area which protects him. And the relative of the victim, the person who was murdered, he finds the murderer. There is a mitzvah for the relative of the victim to kill this person. He's got a mitzvah to do so. Or a shuz adam. And everybody else who sees him also has permission to kill him. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says, no, there's no mitzvah to kill him. The relative of the victim has permission to kill him. And any other person in Chayovin Alov wouldn't be liable to the death penalty if they did kill this person. However, it is forbidden for them to do so. Just since anyway he sort of deserves to be killed, and there's somebody who is able to kill him, so if a regular person kills him, it's not considered to be a full murder. So they would be exempt from the death penalty, but it's forbidden for them to do so. And the Tanakhama and Biakiva are arguing in how to learn the Psukim. When it talks about the relative of the victim killing the murderer, is it saying that he's allowed to, or it's saying that he should? Alright, continues the Mishnah. A tree which is standing, the, the trunk of the tree, the main part of the tree is standing within the Tuchum, within the 2000 Amas of the city. And its branches lean to outside of the 2000 Amas. Or if the main part of the tree, the tree trunk, is standing outside of the 2000 Amas, but its branches lean to inside within the 2000 Amas. Says Mishnah, everything goes according to the branches, and the Gemara explains this means even according to the branches. Even though the branches is not the main part of the tree, nevertheless, even that is good enough, such that if the main part of the tree was outside of the Tchum, but just the branches were within the Tchum, 
If he is standing next to the tree, under the shade of the tree, whatever it may be, as long as part of the tree is within the Tchum, that would already be considered that he is within safety zone and the relative of the victim may not kill him. Next, Horag Ba'isahir. If the Rotseach, the murderer who is now in Golos, he managed to kill by mistake again in that city. What should he do? He can't run away to a different city because he's not allowed to leave this city. On the other hand, he's liable to Golos to be exiled to a different place. So the Mishra says, He's exiled from one neighborhood within that city to a different neighborhood within that same city. Alright, Uben Levi, somebody who's part of the tribe of Levi, Shevet Levi, who lived within these cities, the Oymeklat, they weren't just full of people who were killed, that won't make up a full city. The main people who lived there were Levim. If one of them, if one of they, them managed to kill somebody by mistake, they're also liable to Golos, but they are allowed to leave the city. They happen to live in the Oymeklat, but they're not there as Golos. So they're certainly able to leave the city, and if they kill by mistake, they would be obligated to leave the city to go to a different Eremiklot. They can't use that one because they need to go to Golos. They would be exiled from that city to a different Eremiklot. Mishnaches. This Mishnah begins with the words Kayetzeboi, similar to it, and some Mishnahs it's in brackets, and it probably doesn't really belong in this Mishnah. We just have an identical Mishnah in Maseches Shavias at the end, and over there the Mishnah begins with Kayetzeboi because it's comparing it to something else over there. But in this Mishnah, the words Kayetzeboi don't really belong. So we'll begin for the next words. A murderer, somebody who killed by mistake, who was exiled to an Ermiklot. And the residents of that city wanted to honor him. They wanted to give him a certain position. He should say to them, I am a murderer. I'm not really worthy of such a position. And if after that they tell him that nevertheless we still want to give you this honor and this position, he is allowed to accept that honor from them. Even though part of the punishment of Golos and exile is being in a position of not, uh, not in an honorable position or mode. Nevertheless, as soon as he's let them know, if they want to give him honor, he's allowed to receive that. Shanema, as the Posuk says, This is the matter of the murderer. The word devar can also be translated to mean the word, in which case the Posuk is saying this is the word of the murderer, which implies that as soon as he said one word, as soon as he just tells them that he's a murderer, that's all he needs to do. After that, if they still want to honor him, he is allowed to receive and accept that honor. Now, as well as the six main Orimiklot, which there were, three in Eretz Yisrael itself and three in Eva Hayardain, there were also 42 other cities of the Levim, which were scattered around the whole of Eretz Yisrael, which also served as Orimiklot. Now, the difference was that if somebody fled to one of these cities, Malim Levim, they would need to pay rent to the Levim. If they live in one of the houses over there, they'd have to pay to do so. That was the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. And even Rabbi Huda agrees that it's learned from Pesukim that if somebody is in one of the Orimiklot, the six Orimiklot, he does not need to pay any rent. And these 42 cities basically have the same laws as those six cities. Nevertheless, concerning this law, according to Rabbi Huda, you would need to pay rent, and it's not considered to be like a regular Irmiklot for this concern. However, Mayor Mayor says, they wouldn't need to pay them rent because this, this is exactly the same as a regular Irmiklot, and there's no difference between the six and the 42. Now, the Perik ends off talking about once the Reit Seach, the murderer, leaves Golos, let's say the Kongolol died, and he's finally allowed to leave. If he had a position, for example, in Basin, if he was the head of the Basin, before he had to go to Golos, does he have the right to return to that position now? 
the Chayzal Israish Ba Shahaya Ba Divrab Meir. According to Rab Meir, he does return to that original position of power, that honorable position which he had until now, before he was exiled. Because the Pasuk says that once he leaves, the murderer will return to the land of his heritage. And Rameir understands that to mean that he can return to his original positions. However, Rabbi Yehuda says, he would not return to the original position that he had. He's not allowed to, even once he has left Golus. Perigilmish Aleph, the third and final peric of Mesech's Makkas, is really the reason why the Mesech is called Mesech's Makkas, based on the subject of this peric, which is the punishment of lashes, which is supposed to be the punishment for pretty much every prohibition in the Torah. Anything where the Torah says you cannot do a particular thing, if somebody did that, he would be liable to lashes, as long as the thing which he did involves an action. And there are certain exceptions when Malchus does not apply, but that is the general rule that any prohibition which he violates, which involves an action, would make him liable to the punishment of Malchus. And the parrot begins with Elohim the following people are those who would receive Malchus for the following Averas. And you don't need to worry, we're not going to mention every single Avera for which you receive Malchus. That is a much more extensive list. The Mishnah lists many Averas, usually because it's not necessarily totally explicit in the Torah, the prohibition or the punishment, and therefore the Torah needs to list it. And the first few Averas which are mentioned are those which are punishable by Kores, where one is, so to speak, cut off from Hashem. Although once he receives Malchus, we'll see later on in this Perek, it could be he will no longer be liable to Kores. So the list begins, Habalachis, one who has relations with his sister, Balachis Oviv, or his father's sister, Balachis Imay, or his mother's sister, Balachis Ishtay, or his wife's sister, Balachis Ochiv, or his brother's wife, Balachis Oviv, or his father's brother's wife. Valhanida, or a woman who is a nida, she is Tomei, due to processes in her body. She's currently in her period where she is Tomei, and is for, it is forbidden by the punishment of Kores to have relations with her. If somebody has any of those forbidden relations, he would be liable to Kores and Malchus. Kores is not given by Bastin, of course. In terms of what Bastin would do, they would give you Malchus, and it should be noted that Bastin would never give Malchus unless the person was warned, he received Hasra before he did the Avera, that if he does this, the Bastin will give him Malchus. Amonul Khoingodol, if a Khoingodol marries a widow, Gerusha, the Chalutza the Khoinghejet, if a regular Khoin marries a divorcee or a Chalutza, Chalutza is a woman who performed Chalitza, a particular process in Bastin, which gives her the status very similar to a divorcee, and it's forbidden for a regular Khoin to marry her. According to most, this is only forbidden Mijabonon, and therefore we would be referring to Mijabonon Malchus, which are known as Makas Mardus, Malchus which are given for rebelling against what the Rabbonon said. Alright, Mamzeres, a woman who was born as a result of certain forbidden relations, Unasina, or a woman who is descendant, descended from the Nasinim, the nation of the Giv'oinim, who tricked Yeshua into allowing them to convert to become Jewish, and it is forbidden to marry them since they were part of one of the seven nations of Eretz Canaan. Be as it may, if Israel, if a regular Jew marries a Mamzeres or a Nasina, they would be liable to Malchus, Bas Israel, or a female Jew who had relations with a Nosin or a Mamzer, she got married to a Nosin or to a Mamzer. This would also make her liable to the punishment of Malchus. Now, if a Kohen Godel gets married to an Almona Ogurusha, a woman who is both a widow and a divorcee, and it's very important that we're talking about a case where she was widowed from her first husband, and she was divorced from her second husband. In that case, the Kohen Godel who marries her and had relations with her would be liable to, for two different prohibitions, and would be liable to two different sets of Malchus, 
because he's violating two different prohibitions. He's, he's marrying a divorcee and marrying a widow. The reason why it has to be that order is because there is a rule in Isr Khalal Isr. If something's already forbidden for one reason, if it becomes forbidden for a different reason, that second prohibition doesn't really apply to him. He can't be punished for that second reason why it's prohibited, unless the second reason is more inclusive. Now, a divorcee is forbidden for more people because a regular koyen is allowed to marry a, a, a widow, but he's not allowed to marry a divorcee. So if she became a divorcee after she was already a widow, that prohibition would be considered something which was added because the woman becomes prohibited to more people. And so even for the koyen gadol, it would add a prohibition and he would violate two things for which he would be liable to two sets of malchus. However, if she was a woman who was divorced from her first husband, and she later received chalitza after her second husband died. In this case, because of the rule of he would only be liable to one set of lashes for violating one prohibition. It could be this is not even because of Isr, but rather the whole prohibition of a chalutza is only because she's similar to a divorcee, and therefore really it's the same prohibition, and that's why he's liable only to one set of malchus.